0: One of the major threads that weaves its way through the scriptures is the picture of redemption. Redemption is something that has, when we, here we are in the New Testament, we see culminated in Christ... Uh, and it's a picture that I think we grow accustomed to because we read it in the New Testament uh, regarding Jesus, a passage like like this that we know fairly well, Colossians 1 and 14, uh, in whom, speaking of Christ, we have redemption. The forgiveness of our sins. The New Testament is filled with the idea of the concept of, of redemption. Uh, but what does that exactly look like? That's that's a word that I think we're accustomed to in a biblical spiritual way, and yet what exactly is God depicting when he points to Christ and says that we have redemption through him? I think one of the things that we've observed as we look at the New Testament is that to understand the New Testament properly, you have to go back to the Hebrew Scriptures, to the Old Testament, to see what God was preparing and planning to be able to have a greater appreciation of what Christ is to us and what he would do for us under that new covenant. And so I want to just this evening kind of give you some of those pictures that will lead us into the study that we're going to have not only tonight then going forward uh, on some of the Sunday nights. I want you just to consider what you see that is told to us about Anna. Uh, early on here as, as we have the, the birth of Christ sequence in the, in the book of Luke where we told about her, she did not depart the temple, worshiping and fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak to Him to all who were awa- who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. And so here is Anna as this prophet who is preaching and talking to the people and saying, we've been awaiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. The thing that is particularly interesting about that if you have your Bible program or did a simple Google search of the Old Testament... You're not going to find that word there hardly at all. You're not going to go to Isaiah and read, you know, page upon page upon page of, okay, redemption is coming. You're going to be redeemed or some use of that word. It's not there. It's not hardly mentioned, which is really fascinating because the New Testament is filled with that idea. And you read something like this about Anna. And here she is saying, we've been waiting for redemption. We've been longing for it. We're looking forward to this redemption to happen. So one of the things that we're trying to figure out then is well where did the concept of redemption and longing for redemption come from why was Israel awaiting redemption and how then is Jesus the culmination of that where were all these concepts coming from and as a reminder before we dig into the Old Testament it's useful for us to keep in mind that too often there is an attitude toward the Old Testament that Well, those things were just kind of history back there. The things that happened back there, they happened back there for them. And yeah, there's a lot of good lessons for us that we kind of can get out of the Old Testament. But it's all kind of stuff back there. And I want you to realize that the Apostle Paul argued vehemently against that attitude. He writes to the Romans and here are these Christians And in Romans 15 verse 4. He says, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction underline our instruction stuff that's going on back there that you read about is not just like oh let me tell you some history about things that were going on and so often I think uh, those things that we read about like in the kings and David and stuff like that or reading Genesis through Deuteronomy we often just put a historical narrative on it and go well then the next day this happened and the next day this happened isn't that kind of fascinating now you know your history of Israel It's not why it was written. The Apostle Paul says it was written for our instruction, and it's through those things, through endurance, and through the encouragement of the Scriptures. By the way, what Scriptures does he have that he's talking about, but the Old Testament, that we might have hope. Those things are there so that we would learn about these concepts about God. These things are teaching us about Him so that we would understand what God is going to do. It is teaching us under the new covenant. We're certainly aware of that. You'd figure for at least the first 60 years or or so, there's hardly any new covenant writings and everything is based upon the Old Testament. And you have the apostles and the prophets preaching from the Old Testament, teaching the world about the Christ through the Old Testament. And we'll see some more of that in a minute. But what I want to begin with by just kind of putting my finger on that is if you were going to go somewhere in the Old Testament to try to understand the concept of redemption, where would you go? I found it interesting when we did Leviticus, we talked about that is the book of holiness. If you want to learn about what it means to be holy, that's your book. That book is all filled about what it means to stand before God and be holy. And if you're going to go anywhere to understand what it means for God to redeem, for God to rescue and to have a redemption, the place that you're going to go is the book of Exodus. Exodus. Exodus is the picture book of redemption. It is God's picture to the world of what redemption is going to look like. So let me take just a quick sidetrack. And if you open your Bibles to Exodus, we'll begin there. And then I'm going to come back to this idea of looking at redemption in the scheme of the scriptures. And just begin to show you why Exodus is that important book. But first, let's just get an idea of how Exodus Functions and, ...and what it is all about. One of the things that I think we struggle with with the first five books... It ...is often we hold them in, in isolation. And it's important to consider that the five books of Moses... ...are not intended to be like, okay, you read Romans and now I'll read Galatians... ...and it's something entirely different to a completely different audience... ...with a completely different message and a completely different concept... The way to look at those five books that, yes, they stand alone, but not really. They're really five volumes. Uh, The best picture I could give you would be like uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Yes, each book stands alone, but you're not intended to just read one book. You're supposed to go from start to finish. Same idea with Star Wars, so they messed it all up. But you had each movie stood alone. And, but you weren't supposed to just only watch one. You were supposed to keep going as the saga continued. That's what these first five books are doing. Is that It's not just simply, oh, let's dive bomb into Exodus and here's a completely different story. It's the next volume. After all our study of Genesis that we've done, and looking at Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, it's now the next volume is the continuing story of God as he's trying to picture what's going to happen. In fact, it, it jumps right off the page, and unfortunately in English it doesn't jump right off the page. But chapter 1, verse 1 of Exodus reads, and these are the names of the sons of Israel. Now, you're probably looking at it and going, I didn't have an name. Here's the reason why. In the Hebrew, there's an and, but guess what we all learned in English class? You don't start a sentence with and, right? I mean, that's just like rule number one. I mean, you just get slapped on the wrist if you start a sentence with and. So... None of the translations I can find start with and because you're not allowed to do that. There's a couple translations that will do now and say now these are the names and that tries to cross that bridge. But there is a Hebrew word there, vav, and it is and. It is a connection. It is reaching right back out of Genesis and saying and continuing right along where we left off in that book, we must push on forward. In fact, the ending of Exodus in multiple places is preparing you for for the next volume of Exodus. Consider Genesis chapter 50. And all that happens to Joseph. And we get now to this finale of Joseph. And you remember now that Jacob has died, the brothers are afraid that jo- now Joseph is going to retaliate against them. And so they come begging to him to, you know, your father told said to please forgive and not hold it against us for what we had done to you. And here's what Joseph said. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are to this day. Joseph says there was a purpose about maintaining this group of family that we have this group of people and to be able to keep them alive to this day I think it would be perhaps even useful to to state at this point based upon our recent study of Job just to kind of help with that connect right there is you can make the argument using what we saw in Job you could say that Satan intended for what happened to Job for evil but God meant it for Job's good that's, that's what we saw in the book of Job and this is what Joseph is saying is Joseph is saying you guys were being evil and that was intended to tear me apart but God was using the very same circumstances to accomplish his purposes to bring about a deliverance of my very people you'll notice in Exodus chapter 1 listen to the beginning there in verse 1 and these are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died, and all his brothers. And all that generation. Notice that Exodus is also connecting back to Genesis 46. Because there when we see that when Jacob makes his way down there, we have this statement. Now these are the names of the descendants of Israel who came into Egypt, Jacob and his sons. How does does Exodus open? The very same line. Now these are the names of the descendants of Jacob. And uh, came into Egypt, Jacob and his sons. So you have all of these markers that are given to us at the beginning of Exodus to say, please connect me to Genesis. Please connect me to all the events that were going on back there so that you can see that God is continuing his story and continuing his purposes. And you see that then at the very end of the book. Here's Joseph's final words as he's about to die. Genesis 50 verse 24. Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know, if a movie ends that way, you go, oh, well, they set that up for a sequel. I mean, that, that's, that's what that just did right there. Here's Joseph dying, and he's, what did he just say? God is going to visit you and bring you up out of this land. There's more to the story. Something is about to happen. And here Joseph then basically prophesies and says, here's what God's going to do. There's going to be an exodus. There's going to be a time where God is going to come to us down here in Egypt. And he's going to put us back on that land, just as he promised to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, that this would be the land that was promised. So all of that work from Genesis 12 to Genesis 50 about all the promises of God and what God was going to accomplish through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, here is the end of Genesis saying, all right, those things are going to happen. And now we turn to the book of Exodus, volume two now. And now we're about to see those things begin to unfold. Now, as we mentioned a little bit earlier to bring us kind of full circle to where we started with this, I mentioned that the book of Exodus then is a book of redemption. It is really for us a critical touchstone for us to be able to understand what God is going to accomplish through Jesus. To have any idea about New Testament redemption, it really does require us to have a very rich understanding of the book of Exodus. You can mark Exodus. We might. I might read from there again, but if you'll turn your Bibles over to uh, Luke 24, and I want you to see what Jesus even says about this. In Luke 24, we uh, come to a scene here where we have these two men who are on the road to Emmaus, and they're having this great discussion about all the events that have just transpired in Jerusalem over the last few days. So look at me there, verse uh, 13 of Luke 24. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? <laughs> you have to love that. How in the world do you not know what we have been talking about on the road for the past seven miles? You have to be kidding me. You've been living under a rock. <laughs> Verse 19. And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God, And all the people and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. Now watch this. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, besides all this, it is now the third day since all these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning when they did not find his body. They came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Now, some who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Now, watch what Jesus does in verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Jesus says, You want to know about this redemption of Israel and you had hoped that Jesus was the one to redeem. He says, let's break the scriptures open and let's start with Moses. And that'll show you that I was the one who was to redeem Israel. And so now he goes, well, it wouldn't have been great to sit there and listen to that Bible study. I mean, that would have been phenomenal. So you have that whole breakdown. The whole picture that we're being given here is that the book of Exodus is the picture book to help us understand the redemption that would be made available in Christ Jesus. We need to start with Moses and thus start with the Exodus because the Exodus becomes the primary model of redemption. In fact, the things that we read about in the New Testament and the things that are happening with Jesus, Jesus are following the model of the Exodus and the model of Moses, and I think that's such an important thing to get into our minds. And that's what we're going to really spend our, our evening looking at: is just showing that connection. The things of the New Testament were all pointing to this concept that was laid way back there. With Moses and the study of him and the study of the Exodus, One that you probably know pretty well over in Deuteronomy chapter 18. This is probably where the primary concept of their redemption came from. In Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 15 you read. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you from your brothers It is to him you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, Let us not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire any more lest I die. And the Lord said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth. And he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name. I myself require it of him. Here is Moses who is about to die. And he is now giving his final speech. And his final speech to Israel is, God said that there would be another prophet just like me. Now, what do you think it means when him to say just like me? He's going to look just like Moses. He's going to do the same things that I did. He's going to accomplish the same activities. The things that I have done for you in this exodus is now going to happen again. God is going to raise up another prophet like me and He's going to accomplish these things. And so this is why Israel is awaiting for this redemption. They're waiting for another Moses. They're waiting for another setting free of slavery. There's going to be another one to come who's going to do it. And I just want you to think about There are so many places in the New Testament that show that I'm going to give you like a bunch and it's not even remotely exhaustive. But when we started the gospel of John a few years ago, the gospel of John spends the entirety of its time showing us that Jesus is doing the exodus all over again. You have from the very beginning in John chapter one, verse 29, what is he called? He's the lamb of God. Where in the world did that come from? Well, back there in the Exodus, we had the whole lamb sequence and sacrifices, and what this would do for for the people. A little bit later on, we have uh, this discussion about Jesus and saying this is the one who Moses in the law wrote about, Deuteronomy eighteen, the one that was going to redeem Israel, the one that would be a prophet just like Moses. In fact, when you get to chapter five, verse fourteen, the confession. This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world and prophet is referring to Moses, the prophet that would raise up just like Moses and accomplish the things that Moses did. Chapter five, verse 46. Here's Jesus words. If you believed Moses, you would believe me for he wrote of me. You can go, wait a minute. He wrote of Jesus when you read those books. And Jesus goes, yep. Yep. And that's why when he's on the road to the Maas, he talks to the two guys and says, let's start with Moses. Moses is the place we need to begin if we're going to see Jesus and what Jesus is going to accomplish. Chapter six, verse thirty five. What does Jesus say? You had manna that fell to you in the wilderness. I'm the bread of life. I'm the one that gives life again connection to the exodus sequence again in chapter eight and verse 31 of, of the gospel of john he makes the declaration that he had come to set the people free remember the people responded well, we haven't ever been enslaved <laughs> uh really uh, we have a whole exodus sequence that we are referencing here when we say that i've come to set you free is the very point that he makes one of my favorites is the apostle paul over in first corinthians chapter 10 and verse one listen to what paul says He says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. That's a very jarring declaration right there. Here he's writing to the Christians in Corinth. And he says, you know what happened back there? Back there during the Exodus, they were under the cloud. Okay, so here's God in Exodus leading them by pillar of fire and pillar of cloud. They all passed through the sea. There's the Exodus again. That's in reference. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Again, here's the Exodus sequence again. And then he says, they ate the same spiritual food. And they drank the same spiritual drink. And you, you say, Paul, how could they drink of the same spiritual drink that we Christians drink? And how could they eat of the same spiritual food that we as Christians eat? He explains, for, because, here's how. They drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And guess who that was? Jesus. It's Christ. And yet, God was displeased with them. Here is the Apostle Paul going, You know all that that was going on in the Exodus? It was a model of what God was going to do through Christ. Everything that is being sequenced throughout the Exodus is trying to show us how God was going to deliver again. This is why God says, you're going to have a prophet who will be like Moses... He will come from among the people and he will deliver you. And the events that happened with Moses and the Exodus are the very things that Jesus then goes about doing in terms of the miracles that he accomplishes and the things that he does and the events that happen that are recorded by uh, the Gospels show us that he is that Moses and everything that was being shown to us in Exodus was all just this wonderful picture book. To show us what redemption and freedom and forgiveness was going to look like in Christ. This is why the Apostle Paul writes to the Romans and say, You know all the things that happened back there in the Old Testament was for your instruction. You're able to now look at the Exodus and go, This is how God was going to save His people. We were waiting for this to happen again. And this is what the prophets and what those in the New Testament were awaiting. Of all of them, Jude 5 might be the most startling. Here's Jude 5. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who did not believe. I thought Moses saved the people out of Egypt. Here's the whole point of what the New Testament is saying, is Jesus is the new Moses, and he's the one that saved the people. And those who didn't follow him, they were the ones that fell in the wilderness. That's what 1 Corinthians 10 is saying. That's what Jude is saying. Here's the big deal of what the New Testament is trying to tell us. The study of Exodus is really a study of God's picture book of what he would do in terms of salvation, in terms of deliverance, in terms of redemption, and in terms of freedom that are available in him. It's an amazing declaration that when you read the book of Exodus, you are reading about a picture of a greater redemption and a greater salvation that God was going to accomplish in the world through Jesus. And so this is the idea of what is being given to us. When you read Exodus, you're supposed to read it and say, that's what happens with us. That's why the Apostle Paul could say, You know what? They ate the same spiritual food. And they drank the same spiritual drink. And they were baptized in the sea. And they were all in the cloud. What's he trying to tell us? Everything about what happened with Moses was a beautiful picture then of what God was going to accomplish again when Christ came. So this allows me this disclaimer of what I'm looking forward to doing with you as we, we study this is with that information it it truly makes me feel completely insufficient for the task ahead of us. To be able to have a lens on Exodus that is not, here's all the things that happened to Moses and the people, and the moral of the story is don't be bad and, and sin and rebel and fall in the wilderness like they did. That is not the lens that God said is supposed to be on the book of Exodus. The lens on the book of Exodus is supposed to be we are beholding the glory of God and we are seeing how God saves, how God redeems, how God delivers, and how God sets free. And the way that God does it through the book of Exodus was going to be mirrored and happen again. That's why Anna can stand in the temple and say, we're looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. And why the two people on the road to the can say, we were hoping he was the one that was going to redeem Israel. On the basis of what? On the basis, not that there was some prophet who wrote a book that said, hey, redemption's coming, you're not going to find it. But on the basis of Moses said, this was all going to happen again. There was going to be a prophet like Moses who was going to come, and he was going to restart the sequence and do it all over again, and yet he was going to do it in a more amazing, grander, fantastic way than it had been done before. That's the picture that is being given to us. And that is the lens that we need as we begin to look at the book of Exodus is that the things that we see occurring in the Exodus are the things that Jesus said he was going to accomplish. This gives us, I think, an exciting way to read the book of Exodus and to study it in detail with that. that What you're looking for and what you see in Moses is, oh, I see that in Christ. What I see in Israel is what God was expecting out of His people when Christ comes. These things are being connected for us. And so I look forward then as we go through and look at this study in Exodus in the future that we're going to put that lens on it and we're going to look at like chapter 1 and we're going to see that all these events about Moses' birth and being put in a basket and going down a river and all these kinds... This isn't just happen chance. of, oh, by the way, isn't that really curious... It all happened again when Christ came. So I look forward to doing all those kinds of things with you. Let me bring this to a close by just doing then what I think is important and just giving us an overview of the book that gives us the sketch that will help us with that with that picture. The book of Exodus, a really simple book to outline, and it's such a powerful book to read. When you read the book of Exodus, you're going to notice the book opens with the declaration that we have a pharaoh that doesn't know Joseph, which is now going to cause the people to be put into severe slavery. This is going to be a grand picture of all the world that all people then are in the darkness and all people under oppression and all people are under slavery. And God sees their condition and He sees their oppression and then God is going to do something about it. And then God now raises up a Savior who is going to go to the people. God is going to send Moses, a Savior, to go and deliver these people and is going to deliver them through these mighty miracles that we get to read about. Series of miracles that are going to be accomplished. After those miracles are done The people are set free. We read about God revealing his law to the people so they can be in fellowship with him. We come to Mount Sinai. God gives the Ten Commandments. He gives many other laws, as we talked about with the book of Leviticus. The purpose of those laws is the people would be holy and be able to be in relationship with God. And then finally, the book ends with God joining himself to his people with the construction of the tabernacle. The tabernacle uh, instructions are given and the book ends With the cloud of God coming into the tabernacle and filling the tabernacle and we have God with his people. And I hope that you see even in that sketch of Exodus, that is the sketch of the New Testament. The sketch of the New Testament is here is Jesus coming in a time of darkness when the people are enslaved in their sins and God sees their condition. And He raises up a Savior who He's going to send to them to be able to deliver them and delivers them through a series of mighty miracles, the most notable being the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And then after that happens, there's the revealing of God's law to the people as presented through the apostles. And then God joins Himself to His people through the tabernacle. Now you read all that and you probably agreed with the first four. He said, now wait a minute, what about number five? How does God join us with the tabernacle? Revelation chapter 20, verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them, and He shall be His people, and God Himself will be with them and will be their God. If you remember in John 1, about verse 14, most of our translations say that Jesus came and He dwelt among us and we have seen His glory. But that word dwelt is a weird word and it means tabernacled. He tabernacled among us and we have seen His glory. Exodus ends with the glory of the Lord tabernacling with the people. Here is Revelation say, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. The whole point is that the story of Exodus is actually our story. It is our story of freedom. It is our story of salvation and redemption and hope. What God was doing in the Exodus was setting forward a template of what God was going to do in the future under the new covenant where He would send a Savior yet again who would save the world from their sins, redeeming them from the curse so that God could be in fellowship with His people one more time and be reconciled to them. I will end then... But that's the whole idea of what Colossians 1, 13 and 14 is doing. He has delivered. Has delivered. Here is our deliverer, our rescuer. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. Here is our slavery to sin. And has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. The New Testament just stands upon the weight of the Exodus and says, everything that you experience in Christ is all a picture of what had happened before because Christ was going to do it again. So I look forward to this study with you. And I think it's going to be a beautiful picture then to help us have a much fuller understanding of Christ and a fuller understanding of our redemption that's found in Christ. I hope it might give you some uh, running room to go read Exodus a few times over and just hold that lens over and think about how God is showing what his redemption and how his deliverance was going to come about for a second time in the future to come. So we'll sing a song now and we invite you to come to Jesus, the Lord who redeems us from our sins and sets us free that God from the very beginning had in His mind exactly how He was going to save His people and He left us pictures to show us what was going to happen so that when Christ came, it would be evident and obvious to us that Jesus would be our Redeemer and be our Savior sent to us by the Father so that we could be saved from our sins. If you're ready to come to Jesus tonight, will not you turn away from your sins and do that now while we stand and walk.